Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. WCW goes on a streak and we watch the NWO split in half. Welcome to Beyond the Bell as we present WCW 101, the history of World Championship Wrestling. Chapter 11 brings you the formation of the Wolfpack as well as the rise of Goldberg. We break down the biggest starcade in WCW history, plus the arrival of Brett the Hitman Hart. The debut of WCW Thunder. We relive the rise of Goldberg with his undefeated streak that led him to the World Heavyweight Championship. We discuss the heated rivalry between Nature Boy Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff that escalated during this time period. All this and more after this quick timeout, we relive the beginning of the streak. TuneIn Premium has all the radio you want for $7.99 a month. That's all the radio you want for $7.99 a month. That means every single Major League Baseball game, every single NFL game, the most massive collection of commercial-free radio stations in the world, over 5.5 million podcasts, and unlimited access to 40,000 audiobooks. Download the TuneIn Radio app for a free 7-day trial of TuneIn Premium. TuneIn Premium. Boundless audio. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. In 1997, WCW entered its peak, largely due to the NWO storyline. During that time, the NWO feuded with the revived and now face-turned Four Horsemen, as well as the returning WCW hero, Sting. Now, as we talked about, under the dark, black-and-white Crow gimmick. Frustrated by Sting's constant psychological games, Hulk Hogan finally agreed to face Sting and put the WCW title on the line. Sting vs. Hogan for Starcade, which was called by World Championship Wrestling the biggest pay-per-view event in the business. On the Monday before Starcade, the NWO staged a complete takeover of WCW Monday Nitro. The act was somewhat symbolic as the show was emanating from Macon, Georgia, the same city in which Scott Hall had first appeared in WCW in May of 1996. The NWO tore down the set and ran off commentators Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Mike Tenay. They then replaced all WCW logos with the NWO logo and turned Nitro into NWO Monday Nitro.
seemed as if the NWO was poised to take full control after a year and a half of fighting WCW. This event was intended as a legit test run for a permanent changeover of Nitro to an NWO-centric show, with the soon-debuting WCW Thunder becoming WCW-centric primetime television. We'll go into more of that shortly. However, due to abysmal ratings following the 20-plus minutes of the conversion of the set on live television, the plan for an NWO weekly show was quietly dropped, with the only evidence being the occasional NWO Monday Nitro t-shirt being worn by an NWO member. This leads us to Starcade 97. Some wrestling fans consider this specific show to be the beginning of the end for World Championship Wrestling. Even though WCW was dominating the WWF in the television ratings at that point, Hogan was heavily criticized for not doing a clean finish in matches, and they were fearful of that being the same in this confrontation with Sting. The feud between Hogan and Sting was one of the greatest build-ups in wrestling history. This year-long feud built over week after week, pay-per-view after pay-per-view, as the fans were clamoring to see Sting versus Hogan. But in late 1997, a wrench was thrown into the mix, and it involved the World Wrestling Federation. The wrench was known as the Montreal Screwjob, which took place in November of that year. The remnants of the Montreal Screwjob involved Brett the Hitman Hart leaving the World Wrestling Federation and signing on with World Championship Wrestling. Due to the 1997 Survivor Series, Bret Hart left his home of the WWF and signed on with WCW. It looked as though WCW was in the position to push the WWF straight into, you could say, the perpetual ratings ruin. This could have been the nail in the coffin for the WWF. As of that signing, WCW seemingly possessed the biggest stars in the industry, such as Hogan, Savage, Sting, Flair, Hall, Nash, and now Bret the Hitman Hart. In addition, the company also had credible mid-card stars, such as Chris Benoit, Raven, Chris Jericho. The Cruiserweight division was exciting, featuring high-flying competitors from Mexico, the Luchadors, and Japan, as well as the U.S. and Canada. However, things would not unfold as WCW had planned. Popular opinion was that the screw job and the acquisition of Bret Hart were death blows for the WWF and major victories for WCW. The combination of a company screwing over a popular superstar and angering many fans should have dealt a massive blow to the WWF and given WCW a great amount of hype to work with. Due to the ratings at that point increasing for WCW Nitro, and the popularity of the NWO-WCW storyline, the Turner Broadcasting Company were clamoring for more WCW television. Why not add more hours of television on the Turner Network? It's producing ratings on Mondays. Why not go to Thursdays? As a result, on TBS, WCW Thunder was born. Eric Bischoff cites that this was one of the main reasons for the signing of Bret the Hitman Hart. He had two more hours of television to fill as a result of this brand new live show on Thursdays, and he needed the top-notch talent to fill the broadcasting shows. As a result, Bret Hart 
was supposed to be a big feature on Thunder. So now you had WCW Monday Nitro, which was two hours, about to go to three in the months to come, and then two hours of WCW Thunder on Thursdays. Bret Hart made his WCW debut on December 15th, 1997, on an edition of Monday Nitro. Okay, is Oh! There he is! Ladies and gentlemen! There he is! The referee, Brett the Hitman Hart, has arrived to Nitro! the magic. So if you're looking for a referee, is that what you want? Referee. I would be honored to be the referee for this match. Yo, Brett, man! 7.5 mil a year, Ted Turner's money. You, me, for life! Well, I don't know what's your association, just what we've seen in the past. Pretty happy. He is very happy. But! Do what you can. Win if you can. But don't look to me for any help. Oh! 7.5 million a year and you get this? Because nobody knows better than I do what it's like to get screwed over by a referee. <laughs> so you're on your own, Jack. You're on your own, Bischoff. I think he said Jack. Jack is good enough for me, too. Look at this guy's beside himself. Tony. He's going down. Oh, I think wait, we, wait a minute. There, there may be some more book made here. As I said, she's having an aneurysm. To look more like, let's make a deal every day. Brett? 7.5 mil a year, weekends off. Brett? Tony, we're going to leave that up in the air as I throw it back to you guys. Uh, enough is enough. Red Hart turns around on that one. Bishop doesn't know what to do. You know, and it, it, he's trying to come up with a thought. A plan, and it goes, something. It goes back to our thought. Is he NWO or not? I still don't know. But he is here, and he will be the special referee for Eric Bischoff and Larry Zabisco at Starcade. 
Instead of joining the NWO, however, he agreed to be the special referee in the match pitting Larry Zbyszko against the NWO's Eric Bischoff. The winner of the match would gain full control over WCW Monday Nitro. This brings us to Starcade 1997. Sting vs. Hogan at Starcade, December 28th. We saw Zabisco defeat Bischoff by disqualification after Scott Hall interfered. This gave full control of Nitro to WCW. In the main event, Sting defeated Hulk Hogan to become the WCW champion. Hogan had originally pinned Sting, but confusion arose when Bret Hart appeared at ringside and accused referee and former NWO member Nick Patrick of making a fast count, claiming it would never happen again. It happened to him and to no one else going forward. Hart laid out Patrick and ordered the match to continue with himself as the referee. Hogan then submitted to Sting's Scorpion Deathlock. After 13 months of inactivity, Sting had finally stood up for WCW and ended Hogan's reign atop of the company. WCW now had full control of Nitro, and it seemed that the NWO would fall apart at the seams. This was a huge moment for WCW. They had two roads to travel on, or two options, following this pay-per-view. A lot of fans were disappointed with the ending as they felt it was overbooked, mashed up with a lot of superstars involved, a lot of storylines overlapping one another, and it, you could say, overshadowed the main storyline of Hogan versus Sting. A lot of people stated that Sting should just beat Hogan cleanly without Bret Hart being involved. The higher-ups in WSW were kind of confused or upset in the condition that Sting was in. Not to say he was out of shape, but he looked a lot thinner and not as muscular as we once remembered him previously. It was all hidden behind that black trench coat and the black wardrobe and him hanging up, you could say, in the ceiling or the rafters of buildings. As a result, we didn't get to see the physique of Sting for over a year. And he looked a lot smaller compared to when he originally left WCW to turn into the Crow gimmick. All things combined, the pay-per-view could have sent WCW straight up up top of the professional wrestling world to put the nail in the coffin for the World Wrestling Federation. Instead, it seemed that they traveled down the other road, the other option, which leaded to the beginning of the end for World Championship Wrestling. This brings us into 1998. Sting, from that point after Starcade, was the WCW World Champion. But there was controversy. And due to this controversy surrounding Sting's title win, James J. Dillon vacated the championship on January 8th on the inaugural episode of WCW Thunder and announced a title match between Sting and Hogan to take place at Super Bowl VIII. This prompted Sting to finally speak after 16 months, telling Dylan, you have no guts, before turning to Hogan and declaring him a dead man. This leads us to sold out January 24th, 1998. Scott Hall took on Larry Zbysko, where we saw Dusty Rhodes turn on WCW and join the NWO. Kevin Nash took on the Giant in one of the scariest, scariest jackknife powerbombs you will ever see. Nash dropped the Giant on the back of his neck. You couldn't tell if he was really hurt 
and he really hurt his neck, but you could not count it out. There was 500 pounds of weight dropping on his neck. A scary moment. Paul White wound up being okay and survived the, the, the spot, but it was one of the scariest maneuvers in WCW history. They eventually turned it into a storyline between Nash and the Giant. Another notable event that took place at Sold Out was the WCW wrestling debut of Bret Hart as he took on Nature Boy Ric Flair. In our previous chapter, we talked about the quote-unquote invasion of other talents in WCW or the acquisition of ECW cruiserweights that comprised the cruiserweight division in WCW, the invading of talent from other promotions. It just didn't involve cruiserweights. We saw ECW superstar and ECW legend Raven lead the promotion and join WCW, where he created his flock, which comprised of Billy Kibben, Saturn, and a few other reinvented stars that were not going anywhere. Sick Boy, Lodi, Reese, Van Hammer, all comprised the flock. And Raven was gaining some popularity in WCW. The flock added another element to a stacked, stacked roster that WCW had at that point. One could argue that WCW had a roster that could be considered to this very day as one of the greatest of all time. From the NWO to WCW mainstays Sting and Lex Luger, to the Cruiserweights, to Raven and his flock, what a roster WCW had at that point in 1998. Eric Bischoff was counting on the NWO to push WCW as the number one wrestling promotion, and they did. He signed Bret Hart to increase the roster as they moved over to Thursday nights. He brought talent from other promotions in to increase divisions and increase interest in the undercard. But there was one superstar that debuted in WCW that you could say Eric Bischoff initially was not expecting to catch lightning in a bottle with. That lightning we're speaking of was an ex-NFL player by the name of Bill Goldberg who debuted and automatically caught fire and increased awareness in the fan base of WCW. He drew the attention of all fans from his very first match against Hugh Morris. Hugh Morris, who has really picked up quite a win-loss record, will face a newcomer here in Bill Goldberg, a man we know absolutely nothing about, but he is making his debut here, and from the looks of him, he's very determined and looks very powerful here, Mike, today. Well, Tony, I certainly pride myself on knowing the background, the experience factor of the wrestlers involved in... I'm not... I don't have any, I don't have any information on Bill Goldberg. We, Help me out, Larry. You have, don't know. We have stumped today. Fire him. It's a, it's a first. Maybe a vertical suplex here. Got him up. Oh, yeah, it is. Muscles him up. Combination slam. One, two, three. You know, I think Hugh Morris got shot. He gave him his best shot, and Bill Goldberg kicked out of it. What a debut for Bill Goldberg. Incredibly, with a major upset, 
over Hubris here on WCW Monday Nitro. Now go find out who Bill Goldberg is. All right, let's, let's leave it up to Gene Okerlund, Gene. Well, I'm going to try to find out something about this big man. That's very impressive. A, a gentleman the stature of Hugh Morris, and you absolutely got in there and manhandled him tonight. Sir, I've got to get a little bit more than that. This gentleman just walked away from me. Is he a mute? I can't believe that, Tony. Larry, I haven't seen anything like that. Very impressive. But who is this guy, Goldberg? You tell me today. I, not a clue. We don't know, Gene Oakland, but apparently he is going to talk when he's done good and ready. Back with more live on an explosive nitro from Salt Lake City after this. Bill Goldberg was this monstrous man with sheer raw intensity, with a look similar to top star in the WWF, Stone Cold Steve Austin. The bald head, the goatee, the MMA fighting gloves, black trunks, black boots. Straight on fighting. That's what Bill Goldberg was. He brought intensity to the ring, and the fans drew from it. His signature maneuver, the jackhammer, was getting even more and more popular each and every week. This leads us to Super Brawl 8. February 22nd. The television title picture was increasing and heating up as well. Not just the Cruiserweight title was producing solid matches. The TV title, their division, was increasing tremendously at this point. It garnered my attention as well. The Cruiserweights produced great matches, but I remember the TV title picture producing great matches on top of it. Booker T broke out from tag team competition into singles, and he had some great matchups against Perry Saturn, which took place at Super Bowl, you, you add in Rick Bartell into the picture. Um, and other competitors, even Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko, others tapping into the TV title picture, created another great division. The TV title and the Cruiserweight title were your two divisions which you can count on great matches. This pay-per-view also saw the debut, or the pay-per-view debut, of Bill Goldberg as he took on Brad Armstrong. Another victory for Bill Goldberg. The Cruiserweight title match took place between Juventud Guerrera and Chris Jericho. Hoovy lost and was forced to remove his mask. With the acquisition of Brett the Hitman Hart, so came his fellow family members, the British Bulldog and Jim Neidhart. The Bulldog quickly went into a feud with Steve McMichael. The only Hart member not to come over from the WWF to WCW was Owen Hart. Another major event took place at Super Bowl. In a tag team title match, the Outsiders took on the Steiner Brothers. And in a shocking event, Scott Steiner turned on his brother and joined the NWO. And this was the beginning of the Big Bad Booty Daddy, Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner. And in the main event for the vacant WCW Championship, Hulk Hogan took on Sting. And Sting won the WCW Championship once again. WCW was on top, and Sting was now once again WCW World Champion. At this point... Tension started to brew within the New World Order. Soon, problems began to arise between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Savage had attempted to defeat Lex Luger on numerous occasions, but lost because of botched interference from fellow NWO members, including Hulk Hogan. This led to heated arguments between Savage and Hulk, and there were near-physical confrontations between Savage and Nash. Savage claimed that Hogan dropped the ball, and that he would defeat Sting, to take the WCW title back to the NWO. Hogan and Savage would try to one-up each other on episodes of Nitro, and including Thunder. On March 15th, at Uncensored, 
Savage and Hogan attempted to settle their differences in a steel cage match, which ended in a no contest. On the same card, Scott Hall received his title shot against Sting, but then lost the match. Randy Savage would then state to Hogan that there would be certain members of the NWO who were plotting to throw him out of the group. Then, in April of 1988, WCW started to lose their leverage on the World Wrestling Federation. The April 13th episode of Raw, headlined by a match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon, the owner of the company, marked the first, first time that WCW lost the head-to-head Monday Night Ratings battle in 84 straight weeks. This was since 1996. The WWF did not stop there. Their ratings increased to an unprecedented level over the next two years. WCW tried to counter this by creating friction in the NWO and promoting the battle between Hogan and Savage. Bischoff feeling the pressure of losing the ratings battle for the very first time in over two years decided to make some changes in the company. Another major event that took place within the NWO was when member Sean Waltman 6 was released from his contract. Kevin Nash confronted Hogan and Bischoff, and Hulk Hogan stated that Waltman could not cut the mustard. Tensions start to brew, not only between Savage and Hogan, but Kevin Nash and Hollywood Hogan. The differences within the NWO were becoming more and more apparent. Randy Savage and Kevin Nash were suddenly realizing that Hogan was only looking out for himself, and the NWO was secondary. Nash decided with Savage, after Hogan had interfered in a number of Sting Nash matches, not wanting to have to face Nash to take back his title. Nash supported Savage in his quest to defeat Sting, but also agreed to team with Hogan against the returning Roddy Piper and the Giant in a bat match. Yes, a bat match. Nash made it clear, however, that he would just as soon as use the bat on Hogan. On April 19th, at Spring Stampede, Hogan and Nash defeated Piper and the Giant. After the match, Hogan assaulted Kevin Nash. Randy Savage beat Sting to become the WHW World Champion with help from Nash on the same night. The macho man Randy Savage was WHW World Champion. The next night on Nitro, Hogan would challenge Savage for the title. During the match, interference by both Nash and Bret Hart played a major role. Nash powerbombed Hogan, but when Bret Hart laid Hogan's body over Savage, Hogan won and walked away with the title. Now Hogan was WCW champion. And this is when the championship was flip-flopping back and forth between stars. This signaled the official split of the NWO into two factions. Fourth pack is back, cause I'm mass destruction. Guess who's here, the bad boys are wrestling. Testing competition when the war gets the mission. Not no mercy, see the race like the street. If you don't know, you better find out the war pack. It'll prove a point. Number one, best believe that you don't want to test it with them. I'll be here for the them. Come and degrade with them. You're never walking out again. Don't turn your back on the war pack. On May 4th, 1998, Kevin Ash and Randy Savage appeared wearing black shirts 
with a red NWO logo, as opposed to the familiar white logo that the NWO had. They called themselves the NWO Wolfpack, and were soon joined by Conan, Miss Elizabeth, Kurt Henning, and Rick Rude. Hey, Speaking hey. of power struggle, look, you yep. talked about members of the of the Wolfpack and almost on call. Here they come. It's the upper right of your screen, and there's a close-up of them. It's uh, Kevin Nash. It's the Macho Man Randy Savage. And it's Conan. That is the Wolfpack. That's what it is. And, and did you notice? Do you notice what they're wearing? I mean, we only got a glimpse of it. A beat-up old shirt? Well, it, they're NWL shirts, but that's not your that's not your normal black and white shirt. Is that a red mixed in there or an orange? A new style NWO shirt to represent the Wolfpack, well, obviously. A definite faction, a definite different look. The Wolfpack has made their way to the ring. Whoa! And Kevin Nash is going right on the Pusky. This is going to be the trademark of the Wolfpack of the NWO. There's the Jackknife Powerbomb. And there goes Kidman. What a debut for Putsky. Putsky Jackknife. And the Wolfpack has taken charge early on here on Nitro. In case you don't know what's going down, Wolfpack is running the show from now on. Gotta give a shout out to my boy, Scott Hall. Hogan and Bischoff have decided that my partner's just too dangerous to have on live TV. But let me tell you something. At the pay-per-view, Sting, Giants, you think I'm a funny man, huh? Well, you know something, boys? The Wolf Pack is very hungry. And we're going to pick your bones, boys. And as you can see... We got some new colors going on. That's right. It's the red and black attack of the Wolfpack. This is what's down right now. So, Hogan, I got a message for you, bro. You get your crew, I get my crew. We rendezvous. I like it. Pay it off, brother. You know where it's coming from, bro. The red and black stab in the back attack. Yeah, we're going to get down the way we know how. Oh, yeah. Only one thing that I would like better than taking Hollywood Hogan by his scrawny little neck and popping his bald head to the kite. And that's it. His new best friend, the 
that ugly little maggot hitman Bret Hart. Now we all know what you meant, hitman, when you said that as long as you're around, nobody's gonna get screwed. Nobody's gonna get screwed unless there's something you want. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, now, whether you want it or not, you got a match with the madness. And I'll guarantee you, Hitman, you're gonna get screwed out of everything you got and everything you ever wanted. And I promise you that, ooh, yeah. Last week, K-Dog went ahead and made that jump to the pack. I hope you're watching there, Hollywood. Because now we got one more. Let's bring the newest member. Uh-oh. We got another one. The red and black. The new colors of the wolf pack of the NW. Oh, it's Kurt Hennig. Well, his shirt's not red and black. Somebody tell Kurt he's out of style. I believe he is within the color scheme of the wolf pack. And as we remarked as they were making their way down about the red and the black, they come out and all of a sudden you see the shirts throughout the fans here. That's Adams. Boy, the split continues and widens each and every, not only not only each and every week, each and every segment in this program. Kurt hey, Hennig. Back off, Hogan Stooge. Back off, Hogan Stooge. Nah, nah, punk. Hey, 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 Brian Adams. You just can't be running up in here like you just did. See, you ain't bowdy bowdy like my boy Kev, Macho, and Kurt. You're just Hogan's mascot. You come out here, you ain't got no heart. You ain't got no guts. You left me laying here last week. Let's see what you got. Tonight, I challenge you in the middle of this ring. Well, while we're making challenges tonight, I got one more. Hey, Sting! Hey, Sting! Hogan's side were the original Black and White, now known as NWO Hollywood, which consisted of Eric Bischoff, Scott Steiner, Scott Norton, Vincent, the Disciple, who joined on, formerly known as the Booty Man Brutus Beefcake, and Brian Adams, who came on to WSW, leaving the World Wrestling Federation. Bret Hart seemed to be siding with Hogan, but was never officially named an NWO member. NWO members Scott Hall and Buff Bagwell were out of action at this time, and their alliances were not yet known, although we assumed Hall would side with Nash. During this time, Goldberg started to pick up a series of wins, and as a result, broadcasters and commentators started to refer to the series of wins as the streak 
Goldberg was on an undefeated streak in WCW. As the wins piled up, so did the contenders for Goldberg. There are a lot of little funny instances to where that really built the character of Goldberg that, that are contrary to the theory of pre-planning. I wanted to be called the hybrid. That was the name that I wanted. I didn't want to be Goldberg. Hell, who, who wants to be this big intimidating character and preceded, you know, by his introduction, Goldberg. I mean, it's just, it didn't, didn't seem to fit. Well, we can't call, call you the hybrid because if you make it to a point where you sell merchandise, then, you know, that's, that's copyrighted. I said, I'll never make it to that point. Just call me the hybrid. Let me go. He says, we'll just call you Goldberg. We were down and taping in Orlando. It was one of my first times ever in the ring. I think I was doing a dark match with Manny Fernandez. And they told me before I went out, whatever you do, your finish has to be impactful. I remember I had nothing planned. And I looked across the ring, and I looked at Manny, and I said, Manny, you trust me? He says, yeah. I said, then hold on. That was the spear. That's where it started. I just ran the damn guy over. That was it. They said, whatever you just did, you do it every single time before you do your finishing move. I think Malenko did it over in Japan, but I think Malenko did it from the top rope, but nobody would ever done it in the middle of the ring. So I said, hell, I'll do it. He says, well, you know, I, I don't know if you should do that one because you have to be able to do it to every single person because, God forbid, you know, you make it to a point where you can wrestle the giant, then you got to do it to him, and it, it's, it's of no use if you can't do it to him. So there was a kid named Reese down there, 7'2", about 400 pounds. I perfected it on him. I knew if I could do it to him, then I could do it to anybody. Standing everywhere! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! I was getting hot playing football. I was getting sick and tired of this long hair that I had, and so I shaved my head. It had nothing to do with Steve Austin. Tattoo, I'd always wanted a tattoo. Always. I just, I walked into a tattoo parlor, didn't see anything that I liked on the wall, so I had the guy draw it up on my shoulder, uh, literally freehanded it, and boom, that was it. That's the story of the tattoo. I go to dinner with my brother and uh, one of the producers of The Love Boat. Um, he looks at me and he says, you know, you got to come up with a shtick. You have to have something, you know, you got to have a catch line. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, we're all thinking. Waitress comes up. First thing she says, who's next? <laughs> there it is. That's the pre-planning of Goldberg's tagline. Who's next? So it was all, you know, very simple instances that, that made up, you know, this character of Goldberg. Raven picked up the U.S. Championship at Spring Stampede, only to lose it to Goldberg the next night on Nitro. And this is when Goldberg officially arrived 
in World Championship Wrestling. The crowd went crazy after Goldberg picked up the U.S. Championship from Raven as he basically destroyed the entire flock. On May 17th, at Slamboree, Scott Hall would return wearing the red and black and join his partner Kevin Ash in a scheduled tag team title defense against Sting and the Giant, who had recently rejoined the NWO on Hogan's side. This making Sting his unwilling partner in the match, which had been signed prior to the Giants' defection back to the NWO. Seem a little confused, fans? Yes, so did the fans at the time of WCW. People leaving and joining the NWO, people rejoining the NWO after leaving. It caused a lot of confusion, and every week it was hard to keep track of who was going where. But we all assumed Scott Hall would be on the Wolfpack side to join Kevin Nash. But during the match, Scott Hall turned on Kevin Nash and joined NWO Hollywood in a shocking event. After his match with Roddy Piper on the same night, Randy Savage was forced to leave wrestling due to knee injuries and would not be seen back again for nearly a year. On May 25th, Lex Luger joined the NWO Wolfpack, leaving WCW. Stated basically that it just feels right and asked Sting to do the same. Would Sting join the NWO? On June 1st, Sting also joined the Wolfpack. Then on June 14th, Kurt Henning and Rick Rude jumped back to NWO Hollywood after attacking Conan and causing him to lose a match to Goldberg. As the Wolfpack and NWO Hollywood factions were going at each other's throats, the WWF was increasing their ratings, and they started to pull ahead over Monday Nitro. WSW felt panicked by this, and as a result, decided to make a big change to their world championship scene. One of WSW's last genuine wins in the Monday Night Ratings War was on July 6th, when WSW aired the long-awaited world title match in Atlanta between Hulk Hogan and Bill Goldberg. This was on free television on Monday Nitro in the Georgia Dome. This feud could have been built over weeks after weeks after weeks, kind of like they did with the Sting feud, to build anticipation, try to regain the ratings back to Nitro, but Bischoff so concerned about regaining the ratings after Ross started to, pu- started to pull ahead that they hotshot this angle in the Georgia Dome, producing a large amount of fans, but it was on free television. So it was set July 6th, 1998, Hollywood Hogan versus Bill Goldberg. But... Bill Goldberg had to go through Scott Hall first in order to face Hogan in the main event. Goldberg blazed through Hulk Hogan, continuing his undefeated streak, and defeated Hulk Hogan for the WCW World Championship. Goldberg was on top of World Championship Wrestling. Well, Goldberg knows right now what he's in there with, what he's heard about his whole life, how tough this man Hogan can be, what this man's capable of doing, and he knows right now firsthand what Hogan's all about. Comes a time in every great athlete's career where you gotta dig down deep, where you gotta suck it up, where you gotta prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong here. For Goldberg, the time is right now because the champ is leveling with everything. Hogan with those patented leg drops has delivered to it. Here comes Kurt Henning to ringside. And we've got company. There's Marone and DDP following Henning. He kicked out. He's 
Finish him off! Finish him off! He's calling for it! This is it! This is it! Your career's on the line here! Do it! Do it! This place will erupt when he picks him up! He's got him up! Even after the Goldberg victory, the World Wrestling Federation was still winning the ratings war. This led us to Bash at the Beach, where Hulk Hogan teamed with NBA star Dennis Rodman. Rodman was in WCW once again, and a member of NWO Hollywood. They defeated Diamond Dallas Page and his partner, NBA star Carl Malone. NBA stars were now involved with WCW. This was done to garner more attention from the mainstream media. Out of the two, Malone showed some potential with some basic wrestling maneuvers. Of course, Robin was as stiff and difficult as always, but surprisingly, we saw some athletic ability of Carl Malone. But in the end, the Disciple won it for Hollywood Hogan and Dennis Rodman. This leads us to another celebrity matchup, but not an NBA star, not even a sports star. DDP teamed with Jay Leno. Yes, Jay Leno to take on Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff. In one of the most awkward moments in wrestling history, the picture taken of Hulk Hogan being put into an armbar by Jay Leno put WCW even lower in the ratings war. Even with WCW taking over The Tonight Show and Hogan and Bischoff hosting the show, still did not push WCW over the WWF. Bischoff grew more and more concerned with his company. You could say the stress of it was affecting a good amount of his business decisions, one of which involved nature boy Ric Flair. We'll go into more detail of this feud in just a bit, but on September 14th, WCW won the ratings war once again with a memorable moment that featured Ric Flair's return to WCW and the reformation of the legendary Four Horsemen. And due to the conflict between Bischoff and Flair, we saw Flair off WCW television for an extended period of time. So Bischoff, feeling once again as if his back was against the wall, turned to another former WWF superstar to join WCW. The opponent that Hulk Hogan could not beat in the World Wrestling Federation. The Ultimate Warrior. He returned to wrestling and signed on with World Championship Wrestling. Now known legally as the Warrior, he entered WCW. Another move that was highly anticipated and they expected a lot more out of the Warrior. But at the point of his initial debut, I think Bischoff and Hogan knew that they were not getting what they expected out of the Warrior. His long-winded, nonsensical initial promo laid the groundwork for this lackluster, disappointing feud between Hogan and Warrior. Fall Brawl 98 took place, which featured the Warrior in the War Games match. Diamond Dallas Page won the match for Team WCW which consisted of Page, Piper, and Warrior. They beat Team Hollywood 
which was Hogan, Hart, and Stevie Ray, and Team Wolfpack, which was Sting, Luger, and Nash. Hart was, in a sense, a part of NWO Hollywood. This led us to Halloween Havoc 1998, the match that everyone thought they were waiting to see, Hogan Warrior 2. Prior to that main event, we saw some monumental matches. Scott Hall took on Kevin Ash, and we saw Scott Steiner and the Giant take on Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell, which we saw Bagwell turn on Rick and rejoin the NWO. But in a very disappointing sequel, Hollywood Hogan defeated the Warrior in their rematch. Botched fireball throws, uh, very slow movements, uh, a lot of rest holds, just a, a clumsy match between the two that ended in a very non-satisfying fashion. You would think this would be a big blow to WCW. It was, but the main event was an even bigger blow to the promotion. And it wasn't due to the competitors in the match. Actually, the match was pretty good. The main event was for the WCW World title. Goldberg defending the championship against Diamond Dallas Page due to his win at Fall Brawl. The match was getting pretty heated. The fans were into this match. You could see even more so than the Hogan Warrior match. But something major happened in the middle of this confrontation. All right, it's world title time. I think Goldberg realized that BDDP is not afraid that Diamond Dallas Page will go into this with reckless abandon, not worrying about taking punishment. Every man, no man. That's right. Every man has taken punishment. What about that arm drag by Page? Page, dare the You can't go over five minutes or go over seven minutes if you have a deal with the company. They just felt there would be no repercussions. They really did. None. Everybody, you know, production-wise, was trying to help, no matter who you were or your feelings, to get it done, because we knew, we knew what it meant, you know, as far as to the company and, and, and the ramifications of, of this. It was, it was nuts. I think that's when this, when this, they start to really analyze what are we doing here. We're letting this thing run amok, run by itself. Nobody's watching us. I think that's when it really started to go down. The 11 p.m. hour hit, and the feed cut off for the pay-per-view. Therefore, no one got to see the ending of this world title match. This world champion that WCW's been promoting and pushing, Goldberg, defending his title against rising star Diamond Dallas Page. And the fans could not see the ending. Due to poor planning, whether it was matches that went over their time limit, the pay-per-view time slot went over their limit. And as a result, pay-per-view companies shut off the event. The screen went dark. This was a major blow to WCW. As a result, they played the... They replayed the main event the next night on Nitro in its entirety for free. So everyone that paid for the pay-per-view got to see it for free the next night on Nitro. A big blow to World Championship Wrestling. Even though Nitro won the ratings war that specific night, it was the final time they would win this battle. At this point in WCW history, Kevin Nash was in charge of the booking for all shows. Which leads us to World War III. November 22nd, Kevin Ash won the three-ring, 60-man battle royal to become the number one contender for the WSW world title, and which leads us to Starcade, Kevin Ash versus Goldberg, the championship and streak 
versus NW Wolfpack member Kevin Nash. We arrive at Starcade 98, one year removed from the Hollywood Hogan Sting rivalry that changed WCW forever. Two rivalries came to pass at this year's Starcade, one of which was Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff. The Flair Bischoff feud was one of the most intense rivalries the industry has ever seen. It was real life. This real life issue between the two translated into a money making angle for WCW. For those of you that don't know, Eric Bischoff felt at that time that Ric Flair was no longer main event material for World Championship Wrestling. And he didn't really fit in the main event scene in the new WCW. Earlier in the year, Ric Flair no-showed a Thunder event due to him attending a wrestling event, an amateur wrestling event featuring his son, Reed. Rick stated that he gave notice to Bischoff and that he never no-shows events and always lives by his bookings. Bischoff feeling the pressure and the heat of the World Wrestling Federation closing in on them and then losing, in turn, the ratings war as the WWF gained ground and Monday Night Raw started to overtake Nitro, Bischoff, feeling the pressure, used this flair issue to vent his anger. And as a result, Eric Bischoff made claim that he wanted to ruin Ric Flair's career, not only his career, but his life, and throw him and run him out of the business. This is a real story, folks. Flair was hot at Eric Bischoff. And vice versa. The rivalry even went into the courtroom as legal battles pursued between Bischoff and Flair. As a result, Flair was taken off of WCW television indefinitely. But as we mentioned earlier, Flair came back to WCW television in September of 1998 after a long time off. And again, this was the final time that Nitro won the ratings war. Flair came back to one of the biggest ovations in the history, the history of wrestling, for a special Horseman reunion, and we got the first promo between Rick and Eric on Nitro. It was intense and reality-based. Flair threw everything he wanted out to say to Eric in real life during that promo, and they started from there to build to a huge Starcade match. You could say that maybe they wanted to mimic the Austin McMahon feud and do the Flair-Bischoff feud to be the wrestler versus boss storyline. During one of Flair's mega intense promos, he actually suffered a minor heart attack. And he did it to perfection to make us believe so. Bischoff did everything to ruin Flair's life, from buying and attacking his friends with the NWO all the way to kissing his wife. Nothing more personal, and the anticipation was huge between the two. The main event of Star K98 was Goldberg versus Kevin Ash, but everyone was excited to see Bischoff versus Flair. This match was another level of intensity. At Starcade, Kurt Henning helped and saved Eric Bischoff from Flair, and of course, it wasn't over. On Nitro the next night, Flair came back with an amazing classic promo and decided to put everything on the line just for one more shot at Eric. He put his house, his cars, his career, everything, and in return, if Eric loses, Flair would be the new owner of WCW for 90 days. Bischoff agreed, 
for the chance to completely humiliate Flair once and for all. In the match, after tons of returns, brawls, and members of both factions, Flair finally got his revenge and beat Bischoff in the main event of the last Nitro of 1998, and he was officially the new owner for WCW for 90 days. Their program was so good and rare that in a lot of segments, it drew huge audiences. It brought people in, even from the WWF fan base, and their segments won almost every time with outlandish numbers. The numbers were huge at the time in general for both shows, but this angle drew people in. It was amazing, and it was an intense personal story that should be more appreciated to this day of how good it was and how it made Nitro sustain and carry the ratings to a respectable number to the latter portion of 1998. Now let's talk the main event of Starcade 98. Goldberg versus Kevin Nash. Some of you may be asking, where was Hollywood Hogan during this time? Well, at World War III, the NWO Hollywood attacked Scott Hall and kicked him out of the group. Of course, for disrespecting Hogan and Bischoff a few weeks earlier. On the Thanksgiving episode of The Tonight Show with Jay Leno... NWO Hollywood leader Hulk Hogan announced his retirement from professional wrestling and quite possibly a run for President of the United States. Scott Steiner would go on to assume the leadership role in the NWO Hollywood faction. During the same month, Harlem Heat Stevie Ray, who had previously flirted with the possibility of becoming a member of the NWO, officially joined NWO Hollywood after turning on Booker T. Legendary tag teams were splitting, and one of the members were joining the NWO factions. And supposedly, Hollywood Hogan has retired from wrestling. Therefore, we have an opening in the main event spot. Goldberg, the WCW champion, would take on the winner of World War III, the 60-man battle royal, in November, Kevin Nash. The NWO Wolfpack leader, Kevin Nash, won the WCW World Heavyweight title by defeating Goldberg when Scott Hall interfered and used a stun gun on Goldberg. Not the Steve Austin stun gun, an actual stun gun on Goldberg. Nash, however, did not see the attack and pinned Goldberg. As a result, the record, the streak, was over for Bill Goldberg. He lost the WCW Championship and lost his streak, which ended at 173-0. The next night on Monday Nitro, Randy Savage returned wearing an NWO black and white t-shirt, but instead helped Ric Flair to defeat Eric Bischoff in that match to determine WCW presidency. Those two feuds tied together. The Bischoff-Flair feud and the Goldberg-Nash rivalries bled together the next night on Nitro. That night also was memorable because it was the Giants' final appearance in a WCW ring, which involved Randy Savage crotching him on the ropes and clotheslining him out of the ring. And as a result, the Giant left World Championship Wrestling and signed on with the World Wrestling Federation. This was a major coup now for the WWF. A change of tide started to occur. It initially started when Sean X-Pac Waltman, a.k.a. Six, from the NWO, left, or should we say, was fired by Eric Bischoff and signed on with the World Wrestling Federation. That was the first time you actually saw a WCW guy jump ship to the WWF during the Monday Night War era. But you could say he didn't jump ship because he was fired. The Giant was one of the first major stars from WCW to actually 
voluntarily jump ship from WCW to the WWF. There were rumors that the Giants signed a 10-year deal with the Federation. Nevertheless, this was a signal, a sign of things to come for WCW, as the WWF was now known as the company to work for. Now we enter 1999 in WCW history. And the first edition of Nitro in 99 made a tremendous impact on the company in general of World Championship Wrestling. On January 4th, the first edition of Nitro in 99, Goldberg was scheduled to have a championship rematch with Kevin Nash. A false imprisonment angle instigated by the NWO would remove Goldberg from the match. Goldberg was sent to jail. This caused the match to be replaced with Nash versus the returning, formerly retired, Hulk Hogan. In the match, which has been called the Finger Poke of Doom by fans, then took place on the main event of Nitro. Yes, Hulk Hogan left retirement, the very brief two-month retirement of the Hulkster. He came back out of retirement to now face Nash for the WCW title. The quote-unquote heads of the NWO factions were going at it for WCW gold. This match made a mark in professional wrestling history. As you could say, this was the official beginning of the end for WCW. Some say a year prior, the Hogan-Sting matchup at Starcade was the beginning of the end for WCW, but some say the finger poke of doom that took place this night on Nitro was the true beginning of the end for WCW. After the bell rang to begin the matchup, Hogan poked Nash in the chest, after which Nash fell to the mat like a ton of bricks. Then Hogan was able to get the pin and win the match. Hogan was now WCW World Champion, and the title that Nash wanted so badly that he wanted to beat the streak in Bill Goldberg for, he just dropped so easily to Hulk Hogan. This is better than a playoff game. Now this is what pro wrestling, what world championship wrestling is all about. Very tentative look on Hogan's face, but Nash ready to go at it. Taking their time with each other. Nash trying to get him to hook up at least by shoving the man in the corner. Let's see if that gets a reaction from Hollywood here. Well, he's been in so many big matches. Well, he has. What's that about? WCW World Heavyweight Champion. What stinks? Hollywood. Hogan. It is unbelievable. The new World Heavyweight Champion, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. The man, the myth. What the hell is he doing here? It's Goldberg. Goldberg's in the building. He's He's under under arrest. arrest. He's under arrest. What is he doing here? 
Get him out of here. The world heavyweight champion is in the ring. Well, they arrested him once. What's another time? Go for it, Goldberg. Here it this comes. is a disgrace. This is a disgrace. Get the police out here. Get me the city attorney. Get me Kojak. Get me anybody you need to get me. Oh, my. Get him out of here. He's a criminal for crying out loud. And he's not done yet. Get him out of here. He's a thief. He's a criminal. He's got a record. He shouldn't be allowed in wrestling. Get him out of here. Lex Luger's come down. He's backed everybody off. Thank goodness for Lex Luger. He's going to put up. Wait a minute. Luger just attacked. Luger attacked Goldberg. What's this? What's going on? Shazam! By golly! Gee Willikers! It's all falling! Oh, Tony! How could this happen? Oh, my goodness! How could this be? Oh, the world heavyweight champion, Hollywood Hogan, not only reunited with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, the newest addition, the total package, Lux Luger. Oh, my goodness gracious, Tony! Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Oh! himself. They've got a handcuffed. He's outnumbered. He's been racked all oh, and now. Okay, let me call this one for you. Let me call it for you. And now, the world heavyweight champion in position, in position, and he makes his move. There was a conspiracy, folks, and this conspiracy led to the reorganization of the NWO, which was known as NWO Elite, which consisted of Hogan, Nash, Hall, Buff Bagwell, Scott Steiner, Lex Luger, and Miss Elizabeth. The NWO Elite reunited under the Wolfpack label, while the undercard wrestlers in the NWO continued in the black and white faction. So there were still separated groups, but they were segregated by tears though the short-lived group was labeled nwb team by fans and commentators but ultimately this reconstruction of the nwo did not last long as this was technically the beginning of the end for the nwo in wcw and by mid-1999 the nwo had disappeared many things at this point were uncertain for wcw and wcw fans but the one thing we were sure of that we were entering 1999 with a ton of confusion and no leadership in the main event scene for WCW. What would happen to WCW in 1999 leading into the beginning of the new millennium 2000? What awaits WCW? We will find out in the next chapter of the WCW 101 series, the downfall of World championship wrestling promotional consideration paid for by the following i have a question for my old school friends and family are you members of the network yet no not that network the high spots network 
the best in independent wrestling today. The High Spots Wrestling Network is your home for all things wrestling. Stream your heart out with the best videos in independent wrestling today. Full events featuring PWG, NEW, PWX, WSU, CZW, $5 Wrestling, and much, much more. If you're a fan of shoot interviews, this is the network for you. Catch original series such as The Kevin Steen Show, Old School with Steve Carino, Best Friends with Chuck and Trent, documentaries, matches, women's wrestling, and so much more. No limits. Watch unlimited streaming videos anytime, anywhere, from any supported device. There is tons of content. Enjoy over 500 videos, over 1,400 hours of professional wrestling. The exclusive access level is for subscribers only, and that access gives you exclusive video content via the official Roku app for the High Spots Wrestling Network. It's available in the Roku store, all for just $9.99. No commitment, cancel at any time. Go sign up now at www.highspotswrestlingnetwork.com. Become a member of the largest independent wrestling network on the internet today. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at btbcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, btbcast network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com. TBcast.com. Go old school with Beyond the Bell. The story of World Championship Wrestling comes to a close in Chapter 12. On the next edition of Beyond the Bell, we present the downfall of WCW, the firing of Eric Bischoff, and the arrival of Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara. We look back at the final days of the promotion and the stamp that WCW made in professional wrestling history. All this and more on the final installment of WCW 101 Chapter 12. This is Sean Beckerman signing off. I'll see you next time for the downfall of World Championship Wrestling. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bell. Remember to always keep it old school, my friends.